are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 138 on BTK, otherwise known as Dennis Rader. Ugh. What a guy. Ugh. Yeah. That's a great response to his name. I like, don't like him. <laughs> no, nobody does. Nobody does. So before we get into it, we got a few business things to talk about. What do we want them to do? Like, share, and subscribe, please. Yes, please. Um, We have hit our 100,000 downloads or plays, so we're doing a tank top giveaway. I just posted um, yesterday, which is Monday the 17th, with a new image that you can tag a friend who might like our show. And you can then share a post that you enjoy and tag us in it. And we will keep tabs. And this will end on April 28th, which is two Fridays from now. So plenty of time to enter. Plenty of time to tag a friend. And win a tank top. They're freaking sweet, man. They are. I'm going to get one. Me too. I love tank tops. We talk about this every time. We do. But that's just how much we love them. We love them a lot. A lot. <laughs> um, One more thing. My brother, if you remember, Jordan, he um started a podcast a while ago and he's kind of uh, revamping it. It's called Retrowaved. So uh, he's got all of his old episodes posted. He's working on new ones. And basically it's talking about like music, movies, all that stuff. Um, I know his first episode is on Joy Division, I want to say. Um, mm -hmm. And he's got a couple other ones out there, too. So give him a John like. John Carpenter. Yeah. I think this one. They're pretty good. Yeah. Um, so go give him a like and support him. Again, it's retro waved, all one word. And you'll see his art on there. Classic. Super classic. So that's really all I had as far as business goes. Do you have anything else to add? No. No. Okay. Well, no, you know what that no. means. I'll Ugh. get us I'll get us started over here. <laughs> get us started on this piece of sheesh. I like this picture you picked <laughs> to have really large right at the beginning. He looks like a like super knockoff Jack Nicholson. Who's very angry. In, like, The Shining. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know. That's what that's the vibes I'm getting. I don't like his face. I really wanted to drive the point home with this picture being the first thing you see when you open the notes um, of him just staring back at you angrily with his very prestigious mustache Ugh. and his Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. They're not big enough to be Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. But they got that little thing on the top, you know, that top wire. And they then got like, the style. They got the style. And it's it never was in style, even no. in the 70s and 80s. Shouldn't have done it. Mm -mm. But here he is doing it. He's tried to do it. In like right. the 90s, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this was 2005, I want to say. So we were graduating high school. 
Ooh, could you imagine wearing those glasses <laughs> yeah could you imagine i wear glasses if i would have walked into school with those i'd have been punched in the face <laughs> you for sure by me probably <laughs> <laughs> and i would i would have deserved it all <laughs> oh goodness all right dennis lynn raider lynn lynn was born in kansas on March 9th, 1945, to Dorothea May Rader and William Alvin Rader, and was one of four of their sons. Both of his parents worked long hours, which led to the boys getting very little attention. Dennis felt ignored by his mother in particular. Yeah, was not a fan of the lack of attention. Mm, okay. And it's like, man up, dude. She's working. Get over. Get over it. To buy your stupid ass glasses. <laughs> as, a, as a working mother, can you imagine having four kids and trying to give all of them attention and get time to yourself? No, she probably got zero time not, to herself. Not possible. No, poor Dorothea. And he's over here like, oh, my mom didn't pay attention to me. Shut up, Dennis. You're fine. <laughs> get over it. <laughs> From a young age, he felt desires of torturing trapped and helpless women <laughs> and also showed signs of zoosadism, which means to torture, kill, and hang small animals. So not like he was a typical kid until he wasn't. No, he was always a freak. Yeah, a little baby weirdo. I feel like maybe people should catch that more. Maybe that's why his mom didn't want to spend time with him because she knew he was freaking weird. Yeah, there's something wrong with him. If you if you're hanging animals, do you, I don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, what do you think about this? Like kids that do that, how do they not all get like called out on that? Because if I was ever out and I saw somebody kill an animal, I would not let that go. I tell my mom, I tell all my friends, I tell everybody at school. Every time I saw them, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. There he goes. You killed that animal. <laughs> Homeboy and killed hate, a raccoon. I hate you forever. <laughs> like, yeah. don't you think? So I, how do they just get away with that? <laughs> I feel like they probably just like will come to know if you don't know anything about the BTK. He was really good at hiding things, which is crazy because he's dumb. Like, he's real dumb. But he, I don't know, he probably just hit it and nobody knew. Yeah, I guess if you're into that stuff, you don't do it in front of people. Or you do it once and be like, they didn't like that. But I mean, I do looks, this by myself. I think there was another guy, I can't remember who it was, but he tried to kill some animals with friends and they were like, that's not for me. And then he's like, oh, this is something I have to do by myself. I can't remember who that was. Oh, yeah. Who was that? that? Was that somebody like super famous, like Ted Bundy or something? I don't, I don't know. I feel like it was a Patreon episode. I can't yeah. remember. But... I can't remember either. But no, that does ring a bell. Yeah. The moral of the story is don't kill animals ever. And if you do, don't do it with a friend. Because they're not going to like it. Yeah, they're definitely not going to like it. But you probably should do it with a friend so we can all tell our moms <laughs> and get these people into some freaking therapy. <laughs> Uh, immediately 
Anyways, he dabbled in exploring many sexual fetishes like voyeurism, autoerotic asphyxiation, and cross-dressing. He liked to spy on his female neighbors while dressing in women's clothes, including underwear. He had broken into people's houses to steal. Yeah. Ew. Like, hopefully clean (sighs) ones. I feel like I would notice if my underwear went missing. It's just the whole like breaking into people's houses thing is creepy. Like, what would you do if you came home? If you came home in like your underwear drawer was the only thing that was ravaged. It's like, why though? And you like (laughs) never would feel safe again. That would be so violating Uh to have somebody into your private space like that. Yeah. And to know they could get back in there at some point whenever they want to. And yes, it would also be very confusing. Like, why? Like why my just, underwear just oh. my underwear drawer why <laughs> and nobody wants to look at my underwear drawer i mean oh mine either i'm like I a man sw- when it comes to my un- it's like i did cool. the switch to like granny panties <laughs> and live in my best like late 30s life now right. <laughs> so nobody wants to get in there it's oh. fine <laughs> it's all about the comfort nowadays i have like special occasion underwear (laughs) (laughs) and the rest are like and they're just what i used to wear (laughs) like the special occasion underwear is just what i used to wear in general (laughs) um anyways he oh he enjoyed masturbating with ropes or other bindings around his neck and arms which is not safe friends and at least not when you're by yourself no, you and gotta have a buddy. That's not how you want to be found. <laughs> no, people do not respect that. <laughs> no, and okay, let's paint a picture here, even though we don't want to. But like, if like trying to masturbate while your neck and your arms are tied, how's that work? How, like, is it a Dutch rudder situation? Like, do you remember from Zach and Mary make a porno? When they have one guy grab the other guy's arm and, like, do the movement for him, but he's still. (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know how you would do that. I have no idea. He's not a smart man, but he does know what love is, Jenny. He figured this out. (laughs) Ugh. Yuck. He graduated Wichita Heights High School. And then attended Kansas Wesleyan University, but didn't do so well and ended up dropping out after a year. He then joined the Air Force in 1966 and was enlisted until 1970. Once he was discharged, he moved to Park City, which is a suburb of Wichita, where he worked in the meat department of an IGA supermarket where his mother was the bookkeeper. So maybe he was trying to spend some time with her that he didn't get to spend before. May May 22nd, 1971, Dennis married Paula Dietz and they had a son, Brian, who was born in 1973. That same year, Dennis earned an associate's degree in electronics from Butler County Community College in El Dorado. He then enrolled in Wichita State University. So... January 15th, 1974, all of these dark fantasies that he was kind of trying to keep at bay or at least doing to himself, he let that out of the cage. And he was 
committing his first murder. Now, this first murder for me is the roughest one of the bunch. So once we get past this one, I mean, it's still murder, but it's I just this is one that's heartbreaking to me. There's kids. There's kids. Um, so and that should be like a forewarning. <laughs> yes. So if you don't want to hear this part, skip ahead quite a bit because it's kind of lengthy. Um, Dennis had seen Josephine Ortera, who was 11 years old. He said he was attracted to her by her dark eyes, dark hair, and dark skin. Josie, as she was called, was home on January 15th, 1974, as well as one of her brothers, nine-year-old Jody, along with her mother, Julie, and her father, Joseph. The other three Otero children, Charlie, Danny, and Carmen, all had gone to school. So Dennis decides that he's going to cut the phone line and he's going to wait by the back door for somebody to eventually open it. Uh, Unfortunately, Joey is the one that opens the door and he was trying to let the dog out and was confronted by Dennis, who then came inside the house. Dennis pulled out a gun and found that his the father, Joseph, was home. He told Joseph that he wanted a car and he was hungry. And he asked them all to lie down in the living room. He then asked Joey to go ahead and let the dog out because it was causing a problem. And then took the family into the back bedroom of the house. There, he tied up all four members of the family while they were at gunpoint. The family was frightened um, and asked him to loosen their bonds. And he did actually readjust them a few times, trying to make them as comfortable as he could. Um, and we find this, you know, um, in some of the other ones that occurred, he it does seem like he does try from an empathy level to, like, calm them down and make them as comfortable as possible, which is but weird. I don't think that's an empathy thing. What do you think it is? I think that he enjoys getting into a place and maybe this is where this was like created for the other situations but like he likes to see everybody all scared get them all calm mm-hmm. and then get them scared again yeah well and, and that's definitely i think that especially with the the father being home because we'll find out that dennis really is bad at planning these things out like they never really go the way that he anticipates them to he tries to like stalk them essentially and see who's going to be home when but he can never get it right it seems like so uh, he wasn't anticipating joseph the father to be home no but the father had gotten into a car accident and was at home like healing yep so that's yeah so joseph he like you said had been in a car accident and he had actually cracked a rib so dennis put a pillow down for his head to make him more comfortable while he was on the ground um so weird so weird joseph and julie the parents told dennis that they would give him the car they would give him the money whatever he wanted but dennis really wasn't there for those reasons dennis hadn't worn a mask so they were able to id him and he decided that he would need to kill them all so this is where it gets kind of rough um He killed Joseph by putting a plastic bag over his head and used cords to tighten the bag while Julie was laying next to him. Joseph tore at the bag and Dennis had to actually put a shirt over his head and then tie another bag around his head 
so that it strangled him. Joey was also on the floor tied, and Josie at that point was tied up laying on the bed. He then moved on to Julie and strangled her, and then moved to Josie and strangled her. And as he was strangling Joey, Julie, who had passed out, which is the mom from the strangulation, actually woke up and was begging him to save her son. Dennis finished strangling Julie to death, put a bag over Joey's head, and brought him to another room where he suffocated. Yikes. But he's not done yet. That's so terrible. It's terrible. So, And we should say here, too, this is not, like, in the middle of the night or anything like that. Like, this is during school time, mm-hmm. like eight o like eight o'clock in the morning yeah yep. coming in and doing this broad daylight broad daylight um and for his first murder i mean he kind of swung for the fences here with all of these people that he was having to yeah. deal with i mean i don't know it he must have really had an attraction to her to want to try to attempt to pull this off because so many things could have gone wrong there were so many people could and like and i mean it didn't go completely wrong but i mean he was not expecting what was going on correct by the time dennis had come back from the bedroom where he had moved joey josie had woken up after passing out from being strangled dennis took her to the family's basement josie asked what was going to happen to her and he told her that she was going to be in heaven with the rest of her family Ugh. That's just heartbreaking. Yeah. He then strangled her, hung her from a rafter in the basement, and masturbated on her body, which Mm. is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Dennis then went through the house and did something he called the right hand rule, where he picked everything up. That's weird. Yeah. And stupid. He's dumb. He took Mr. Otero's watch and a radio. He got the keys to their car and he drove over to a place called Dylan's and left it there. Then he walked back to his car. Right. Ugh. It's terrible. That is terrible. This is even more terrible, so it's not over quite yet. Well, I don't want to read this part, so I stopped. (laughs) Okay. So, Charlie, Danny, and Carmen, who were at school, came home, and they found the back door was open, and their dog, Lucky, was outside, which was weird. Charlie, who was 15 at the time, went into the house, and the kitchen was an absolute mess, and his mom was very typically a tidy person, so this was not, this was odd. Mm-hmm. Um, he called out and asked if anybody was home by that time, Danny and Carmen had actually entered the house and he heard one of them calling to him saying that his parents were playing a bad trick on them. So no. Charlie ran. No. So Charlie ran down the hall and saw his mother on the bed and his father on the floor, both of them dead. The kids ran to the neighbor's house and called 911 when the police arrived they discovered the bodies of josie and joey charlie was they didn't find the the kids yes um 
And Charlie was not aware that his brother and sister were dead until the police officer told him at the police station. And he has done interviews and said those exact things. Like he is so thankful that he wasn't the one to find them because he didn't know how he could process that. Because that would just be terrible. I mean, it's obviously bad enough to find your mom and dad, but to find your younger siblings would be like insurmountable. Especially to like Joey, you know, he was similar to the parents, but then Josie with her hanging like that. It's just Uh, terrible. Yeah, that was that was awful. Yeah, that would be a terrible thing to see. Um, are you going to talk about how he left his knife? I can't remember. These notes, like for this, because I feel like he right now. But no, I don't think you do. He left a knife at the scene of this. At this scene? Yes, in their backyard. When he cut the phone lines, he left his knife in the backyard. And he dropped their car off at Dylan's and realized that he had lost his knife there. So he drove his car back, parked in their garage, and went and found the knife. Wow. In broad daylight. In a neighborhood after he just had murdered that entire family. Well, and like, what, what is an idiot? Exactly. What is the thought process of parking somewhere? Like, what is the process of all of that whenever you're just going to use your own freaking car to go back? Like, I don't know. I don't, there's like no thought process there. And what was moving the car anyways? Why? Right. I, I think the reason why he took like the watch and part of it is for like trophy, but I think really he wanted it to appear that it was like a robbery, I think is kind of where oh. his head was. And then taking the car and parking it someplace else just kind of was... seemed like somebody stole the car and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying there. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Semen was collected from the crime scene, though none of the family were sexually assaulted. A month after the murder, Dennis had written a letter to the Wichita Eagle detailing how he murdered the Taros. In that letter, I'm going to attempt to read, says... Those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. Sorry, there's like spacing issues. So Raider describes the terror crime scene in detail with body positions and conditions, which in this letter, during yeah. that section, then to carry on, I'm sorry this happened to the society. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up where this monster enter my brain. I will never know, but it's here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it. So the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Side note, he is like spelling things wrong not grammatically correct no he's terrible at writing letters like what is happening here yeah i can't even get through this um 
society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams of some victim being torture and being mine. Oh, this is like creep stuff. It's a big, complicated game, my friend, of the monster. Play putting victims number down. Follow them. Checking up on them. Waiting in the dark. Waiting. Waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. This guy sounds like he is like a fifth grade boy. Well, and you would think maybe he's like trying to do this because he wants to throw off the police, but no, really, he just is a terrible writer. Like he's just right. Terrible. Like you're not trying to make it sound like Mm-mm. you're changing your cadence of speech or something. I mean, he just can't write a sentence mm-hmm. or spell. No, or, or use the space bar. This is probably handwritten, but spaces are important. <laughs> I don't even know if this is handwritten, but I mean, he's not even using, he's not even writing sentences. These don't make sense. They're just words that you're putting in a row. Um, Okay. Almost done. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know, but it's too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guilty. P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. B.T.K. You see, he added again, they will be on the next victim. Like, why? So... Yes. So he wrote that letter and he sent it to the Wichita Eagle, which is a newspaper. Furthermore, in this letter um, that is not written here, Dennis, and I'm sorry, we might laugh at some of this stuff because he's a freaking idiot, but it does not negate the fact that like he just murdered a whole freaking family. Like he's a terrible yeah. person. Um. So he went through some other names instead of just straight up BTK. Like, um, if you don't like BTK, we can also explore these other options. Uh, right. So he gave them a couple options, several, many. Um, the the BTK Strangler, the Wichita Strangler, the Poetic Strangler. Obviously not. You're terrible. Um, the Bondage Strangler, really high on the Strangler. Um the bondage psycho that's my favorite <laughs> the wichita hangman the wichita executioner which i highly doubt he could even spell um the grat is a grat phantom it's the garot the garot garot phantom so you know garot that you can strangle people with oh yes uh-huh mm-hmm. or the asphyxiator and that sounds like a video game like a villain name or yes. a superhero name, yes. Like what? <laughs> the asphyxiator. I would expect him to have a cape and like a mask if he goes by that. Right. So, but at the end of the letter, he's settled on this BTK. Um, so even though he wrote all of this stuff and and let us know that he'd chosen another victim, he didn't know who it was, and they didn't know who it was either. Okay, so that happened um, January 15th, 1974, 
were moving to April 4th, 1974. Dennis targeted a 21-year-old woman who was a Coleman employee. Her name was Catherine, uh, Catherine Bright. Dennis had been watching Catherine and considered her one of his projects. So all of these people that he was watching, he called them projects. Um, and even though he murdered who he murdered, there was a lot of people on the project list that luckily never came to fruition. He was never able to kill them. He broke into her home from the porch door and hid in her bedroom. So he was hiding there for hours. And after, and that's freaky. Like you always think about whenever you're home, somebody breaking in, but you never think about coming home and somebody already being there. Like that is scary to me. Still, I don't like that. I don't either. Um, and, and it's not like you go and check your freaking closets and stuff like that. Like before you go to bed or whatever, like I'm checking all my rooms. Would, there's no way anybody could be in the house. Yeah, that's true. The dogs would like river would point anybody out. Yeah. Like we, ha- we play hide and seek with us in the house and it, it's impossible. Yeah. Because she gives that's everybody true. away. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. So the moral of the story is to have a dog for sure. <laughs> Yeah, um, one that would point people out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he's been hiding in her bedroom for hours. Um, Around 2 p.m., she came home, but she wasn't by herself. This is another one where it didn't work out for him. Um, She had her brother, Kevin, with her, who was 19 at the time. Dennis rushed out of the bedroom with a gun pointing at Catherine and Kevin. He told them the same story that he had told the Otero family that he needed a car, food, and money, and he was on his way to New York. He forced the two of them in the bedroom and ordered Kevin to tie his sister's hands and feet. He then took Kevin into another room and tied him up, but Kevin put up a fight and was actually really close to taking the gun away from him. Dennis got a handle on the gun and figured I'm not going to be able to tie this guy up. And he actually shot Kevin twice in the head. Um, he then went back to Catherine to finish his project. Catherine Ugh. also put up a fight. Why do you got to write it like that? I know. Sorry. Ugh. Uh, Catherine also put up a, a big fight against Dennis when he was trying to strangle her. He realized the strangling her was not going to work. So instead, he stabbed her in the abdomen multiple times. Uh. During her being stabbed, Kevin was actually alive after being shot in the head twice. And he was able to escape. And he ran several blocks to his car. I don't know why it was several blocks away. And drove off in search of help. I don't know why he didn't go to the neighbor's. I mean, he was yeah, shot I in the head questions. twice. I have questions. You leave if Kevin I alone. Shot, I know. Thank, thank goodness for Kevin. Good man. Really glad he's here. But if I got shot in the head twice, I'm not running a couple blocks. If anything happened to me at all, period, I'm not running a couple blocks. <laughs> I don't run a couple blocks now. Like, no. I'm not exactly. running. So what What was wrong with all the houses he passed? Uh, he or was businesses? probably... Probably just in a tizzy. I mean, you got shot twice in the head. How are you alive, Kevin? Um, yeah, that's that's wild. So he finally made it to some help. Uh, the police arrived and they took Catherine to the hospital, 
who and she was still alive at the time, but after having many emergency surgeries and blood transfusions, she passed away. That's so terrible. He did everything he could. That's so awful. And it was so like the fact that she was alive when they got there. I mean, that's got to put some serious hope because nobody yeah, else was hopeful. alive. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, she passed away at the hospital, but they did everything they could to try to save her. Sucks. The same year as his first murders, he got a job working for ADT security systems where he installed security alarms as a part-time job. Most of his clients were concerned with the BTK killer. That is spooky as shit. (laughs) Yes, that is terrifying. (laughs) I don't like that. He got a job installing alarms And the sales were probably really rolling in because of him. Yeah. And what a what a perfect job because, okay, they got a security alarm, but it's cool because I installed it. So I'll just like cut this wire and we'll be good. Like he knew everything about those security systems. Yeah. And that is a good way to meet projects because you're going into people's houses and like yeah you can like case their house out while you're in there yeah Ugh, that's spooky super spooky in 1977 dennis could no longer contain his btk alter ego and after three years he found his next victim in a neighborhood he was staking out i'm gonna pause here he has a wife and a kid mm-hmm. and he's just working a part-time job you know, killing takes a lot of work. Think I think it's a well. Does the wife think this is a full time job and he's only working part time or what? Because I'll tell you what, my husband was out freaking stalking people. I would know about it. I just you know. What, well, and that brings up a really interesting point because nowadays we got tracking on everything. Like I can pull up my phone and know where Josh is at this exact moment. Like, yeah. And if you turn it off, I'm going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you turning it off? Like what's going on? Yeah. And- but back then, like, where are you been, honey? Mind your own damn business. Okay, darling. I'm going to go make you a sandwich. Yeah. I like, mean, I would have to assume that it would be the same for us as it was for her, where there'd be no thought in your mind that your husband would be capable Could possibly of be this. doing this yeah she probably no. thought he was cheating or something yeah or or working full-time you know like who knows like i said yeah was did he tell her he had a full-time job and he was just working part-time or what and she didn't understand like what the average wage was or something yeah. i don't know because that's i mean this is a lot to be like out just following people around mm-hmm. and these are only the projects that we know about are only the ones that unfortunately were murdered. Like how yeah. many more people was it that he was had his eye on? I mean, did they find anything when they went through his house? They did, but there wasn't like a number on it because yeah, he would take like, like pictures. Yeah. But how freaky, like that might be actually a good thing because to know that you were like on the radar of the BTK after he was caught, like I, yeah. that would be some major like 
trauma you have some stuff going on after that yeah yeah for sure anyways he found his next victim in 1977 in a neighborhood he was staking out that day dennis was going to break into the home of cheryl a woman he met at a bar but she wasn't home so he decided to go down hydraulic street and came in contact with a five-year-old boy named steve relford Dennis pulled out a picture of his wife and son and asked the boy if he knew who they were. The boy said no, and he went home. On March 17, 1977, Dennis knocked on the home of the boy, and Steve answered the door. Dennis claimed to be a detective, and the boy let him in. Including Steve, there were three other children in the house. Dennis turned off the TV and pulled down the blinds. Shirley Vian, the mother, came out of the room startled, and by gunpoint, he made the children go inside the bathroom and he locked them inside. He told Shirley he was going to have his way with her, but led her to believe that wasn't... That he wasn't going to rape her. What'd she think he was going to do? I don't know. Huh. And then he calmed her down, again with the calming somebody down. By giving her water and letting her smoke a cigarette. Yeah. That's not going to calm me down. I'm going to hit you with my glass and burn you with my cigarette. Right. I'm thinking of ways to kill you. Like, (laughs) you give me time and I'm plotting. Thanks for the the calm down moment. I'm coming for your nose, throat, and groin in Mm -hmm. one second. While the children screamed in the bathroom, Dennis tied up Shirley and strangled her to death by pulling a cord around her neck. He left semen on her panties that were found next to the body. He later confessed that the phone had rang, which caused him to leave early, leaving the children in the bathroom screaming for their mother. Mm. Oh my god, that breaks my heart. Talk about Saved by the Bell, though. I mean, would he Was have he going to kill the kids? Too? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm glad that we don't know because those kids are safe. Like, as traumatizing as that is, at least they're alive. Yeah, for sure. And and hopefully by the time, you know, somebody got them, they didn't have to see the carnage that was there. Yeah, hopefully Hmm. not. Oh, that's so terrible. All right, so now we're on to December 1977. Dennis had someone new that he was stalking. This was 25-year-old Nancy Fox. On December 8th, 1977, he cut the phone line to Nancy's house. And back in the day, like, the phone line was your alarm system. So, like, if if anybody had alarm systems, like, it all went through the phone line. There was no Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. So, so he broke into her house right. um, by the back door of her duplex. And again, she wasn't home. So he waited for her to get home from her job at the jewelry store. Nancy lived alone. And again, um, she and, and surprised her when she entered the kitchen by gunpoint again with the gun. He told her that he had a sexual issue. And in order to get rid of that, he needed to tie her up and rape her. So she was actually allowed to undress partially in the bathroom. So she she he let her go into the bathroom. I wouldn't have come out of that damn thing. Break the door down. 
Um, get, but get something. This is crazy. But back in the day, though, just like the 9-11 and like hijacking, you were just told to comply and get through it. Like, right. And now it's not really that it is go after. Yeah. Balls to the wall person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what he was like, he was carrying around a 22. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you can get shot with a 22 and be okay. Yeah. Sometimes not always, but you know, (laughs) and he was not like, he was a larger man, but he wasn't like super tall or, and he and like she looks looked like tiny, though. It seems like he goes after, like, very small women. Yeah. This is another thing. Like, if somebody would let me go into the bathroom to partially undress for my raping, I'm coming out with, like, all sorts of shit. You better watch it. Right. My razor. <laughs> I don't know. I'll shave your freaking face. I have haircutting <laughs> scissors. I'm getting my pots that are in the bathroom because those are heavy. I'm going to hit you in the head with that. Mm-hmm. I'm coming out with the shower curtain rod. <laughs> yep. Like straight at you. I mean, I don't know. I understand why people don't do that. And you're right. That was kind of the thing back then. If all that was going to happen is you were going to get raped, then get raped and get therapy later or whatever. Right. And I get right. that. But like, that's obviously not what's about to happen here. Yeah. And and especially with like the other murders that have taken place, like I feel like you should be on high alert at that point with knowing yeah. that, OK, this might not I might not get out of this. And he so, basically just is not like he's not playing it safe. He just got really lucky that these people didn't do certain things. And mm-hmm. then also other certain things didn't happen. Like this is a duplex. The neighbor could have been home. Yeah. Most bathrooms are going to have a window. Hmm. Well, and I think that that's partially why he was doing the calming down thing, like letting somebody go and letting them go into the bathroom. You're probably thinking, okay, like he's a nice assailant letting me go in here. So like, I'm just gonna comply, get it over with and then be done with it. So I mean, whenever we talk about this stuff, of course, it's different for, you know, everybody because we've never been in this situation. We don't know what we would mm-hmm. do. In hindsight's twenty twenty, always. Yeah, but just you know, yeah. I mean, to think about if you ever find yourself in these kind of positions, I feel like it's definitely. Yeah, I would never want to be like this coming off as like victim blaming or they should have done this or done that. It's just thinking like what to do, especially knowing how this is going to end. Like what what could have been done. Yep. You know, it's just I don't know. It's so sad. So she partially undressed in the bathroom. He then told her to come into the bedroom where he tied her up and undressed himself. He then strangled her. And as he did so, he confessed to who he really was and what he had done in the past. Her body was found later with semen on the nightgown that was next to her. That would be so scary. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. she's probably thinking, oh, we're almost done. I'm going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And then whenever they start telling you stuff that they don't expect you to come, you just got to go for it. Anything you can do, do it. Um, yeah, you've seen his face and he just told you he murders people. Mm-hmm. Like You're done. He's going to kill you. <laughs> and so on the next day, he, on his way to work at ADT, he called the local police stating 
Yes, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox, that is correct. And then he left the receiver dangling. So back in the day, you had to call from like payphones. And children, right. if if you don't know what payphones are, Google them. Mm-hmm. Or it looks like the thing in Doctor Who. They're um, around sometimes still, right? Or no? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. Never? No. I don't Man, think so. To, we used to still have a couple, right? What happened? It's been a minute. <laughs> and it's I crazy. I wouldn't even know what to do with a payphone. I know <laughs> your Never number and my mother's number. <laughs> that is it. And that's because they've been the same for 30 years. <laughs> well, and the other thing is you had to have change to make a phone call. You got any change? Because I usually I don't. I forgot about that part. Uh-huh. You got to pay. Uh-huh. And it's only for a few minutes and then you're cut off. Yeah. Um, but there was a thing back in the day you could call collect and then that person was charged. So yes, indeed. That's <laughs> anyway, <way> do it. <laughs> right. So the police ended up rushing to Nancy's house and found her strangled to death. The police tried to replay the recording of his voice many times, but they weren't able to find any sort of match in their database, which I mean, it was 77. So what database is that? Yeah, I don't know. What database is that? <laughs> what database is that? I don't know. <laughs> and it's crazy. I mean, I don't know. I'm racking my brain. I really can't think of anything why you would have people's voices to match it up against. No. Like, well, he's not the newscaster on Channel 7. <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> uh, early in 1978, Dennis sent a sarcastic poem to the Wichita Eagle newspaper called Shirley Locks. And it goes like this. Shirley Locks, Shirley Locks, wilt thou be mine? Thou shall not scream, nor yet fee the line. Feel the line I'm thinking he's trying to go with. But lay on cushion and think of me and death and how it's going to be. That Terrible is the fucking... shittiest poem I've ever read in my life. Terrible I feel fucking stupid poem. Right now. <laughs> like how I feel when I watch Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> <laughs> What is this? (laughs) I mean, being a poet was not in the cards for him. And thank God he didn't go with the poet strangler. Because Jesus. I was just thinking that people would be like, what? No. (laughs) Yeah. After this poem was a serious letter where um, Dennis was again taking responsibility for the past seven homicides. He had written the letter the same way the first one was found in 1974. He said he had a factor x which was the reason he was committing these horrible crimes yeah he's got a lot of like names for him his stuff he does factor x factor what is he like get out of here he's ridiculous he also called it sparky big time when he had an orgasm after killing someone what does that even mean sparky big time that is like both the most like pathetic hilarious thing i've ever heard and also just really really disgusting why is it gotta be sparky and i'm sure it's not big time like really I'm sure it's not i'm I sure, it's, sure not. it's not <laughs> <laughs> he was not pleasing anyone with his sparky big time situation guaranteed and it sounds like, like, does he call his penis uh, his peeny weenie? Like, it sounds like a five-year-old. like A little kid thing, yeah. 
It's Ew. I don't, it's ridiculous. Can you imagine like dirty talk with somebody and they're Ugh. like, oh, it's time for me to sparky big time. Like, please, <laughs> please let me leave. <laughs> I have got gotta go. I can't does he call here. does he call it that with his wife also? Or is it just I, after killing someone? I mean, I is it know. like like what is it big time what whenever he's with his wife? Like Ugh. not a sparky big time. Probably. I don't know. Probably nothing. I hope she never slept with him. They had kids. <laughs> they had a kid. They are about to have another one. Oh, oh my god, he's terrible. Mm-hmm. The next letter that was found was mocking the murder of Nancy Fox, entitled "Oh Death to Nancy," which was mimicking the song "Oh Death." And an excerpt from that is, I'll stuff your jaws till you can't talk. I'll bind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can't make a stand. I'm so irritated. I'm irritated with this poetry. And finally, I'll close your eyes so you can't see. I'll bring sexual death unto you for me. Gross. Sexual death. Never. I am not a fan. He's terrible. Of, of this poetry. Oy. Okay. So like we kind of discussed just moments ago, in 1978, Dennis and his wife Polly gave birth to a baby girl, Carrie. So while he's murdering women, he just had a baby girl. So <sighs> during all of this time and sparky big time, he's also having sex with his wife, obviously. And it's just like, wow, it's crazy. All right. So Dennis graduated in 1979 from Wichita State with a Bachelor of Science degree, majoring in administration of justice. How can you spell and write that way and write terrible poems and be working at ADT and murdering everyone around you and your graduate? I can't do that. I don't have the time. Graduate. (laughs) I can't graduate. That's right. And that makes me feel bad. But but I always try to be like, okay, well, if if like like whenever I couldn't pass my driving test, I was like, if Britney Spears can do it, I can do it too. And now it's gonna be like I can graduate college because BTK graduated college. (laughs) Dennis Rader can graduate college and write at a first grade writing level i can graduate college i bet he's good at math though yeah i I don't know he's got to be good at something because he's not good at literally anything else that he does even murdering people he's terrible at it Mm -mm. (laughs) at that time he left his adt job in 1988 and he started working as a census field operations supervisor in wichita in 1989 that was before the 1990 federal consensus came out so Again, another opportunity for him to be like stalking people and going to their doors, doors and being around people. Mm hmm. Gross. Dennis became involved in his church. um, And once his son became old enough, he became a Boy Scout leader, which is even more terrifying. Stay away from the children, Dennis. Yep. By. By 1985, Dennis was 40 years old, and the Factor X came back gnawing at him. 
His next victim, Maureen Hedge, was a widow. She lived on the same block as Dennis uh, for over 30 years in Park City. April 27th, 1985, Dennis was in the middle of a Boy Scout meeting when he said he had a headache and he needed to leave to get medicine. Isn't the job of a Boy Scout to always be prepared? Shouldn't they have Tylenol? He I don't is know. shitty at Boy Scouting also. What a surprise. Mark that on the list. We need to have like a uh, things that list Dennis Rader things. sucks at. Yeah. We should Everything. probably make a list of things he doesn't suck at because it would be shorter. Right. Because there'd be nothing on the list. <laughs> <laughs> he left and walked to his car that was near the bowling alley. He went inside, bought a beer, swished it around in his mouth and then spit it out purposely spilling some on his clothes trying to appear that he was three sheets to the wind super intoxicated he then called a cab pretending to be drunk and told the driver to take him to park city once he he up to uh, once he got to marine's home he saw her car there and assumed that she was home so he cut the phone lines and quietly opened the back door to sneak in check your doors Like, if people are going to break in, I'm going to make it hard for you. Like, as hard as I possibly can. Yeah. He realized that no one was home and waited in her bedroom until he saw a car pull into the driveway. That just scares me so bad. Like, coming home and... Somebody waiting in mm, your house for you to pull up. That scares me. Um, Marine Hedge and another man walked into the house. Again, not as he probably wanted it to be. So mm-hmm. Raider just waited in the bedroom closet until 1 a.m. so that the man was gone and Marine had gone to sleep. So he was in there the whole time. I don't know what they were doing. Hopefully it was her boyfriend. And she got ready for bed and went to freaking sleep with him in her closet. Ugh. That is so scary. Dennis came out of hiding, turned on the bathroom light, and jumped on top of Marine, choking her to death. How disorienting would that be? Like you're just taking a little snooze, and then stuff turns on. Sleep like all the way out at Mm -hmm. one in the morning. Ugh. Once she was dead, he drug her body inside the trunk of her car and drove to the church he attended. What? Why? What? He was a trusted member of the church and had keys to the building. Don't these places have cameras? Not in the 70s. They needed to. Or maybe they had ADT. (laughs) (laughs) He put black plastic over the windows so no one could look inside, then dragged her body to the basement of the church. He photographed the body in multiple different poses before putting her back in the car and taking off. What a freaking ballsy idiot. Mm-hmm. He dumped the body in a ditch along a dirt road not far from their home in Park City. I need, I have questions. Are you ready for my questions? Give them to me. What did he say he was doing to the Boy Scout troop? That is the same question I had, and I didn't find the answer, but how long does it take to go get some headache medication? Right. I don't think he ever went back. He didn't because he was gone until one in the morning in somebody's closet, and then he went somewhere 
did all this stuff that would have taken hours. So he probably got home at like four in the morning. Yeah. You ain't coming in my house at four in the morning when I don't know where you are <laughs> and you left my kid at the Boy Scout meeting. Right. Right. You had a and- headache. You better have a headache somewhere else, asshole. <laughs> like, well, and- what? And what a... um. <laughs> Once you once they find out his identity, right, and you're a member of this church and realize that he dragged a body into the basement of a church that they probably prepare meals in, like, what a crisis of faith that would be for you. Like, this, like, trusted member of the church did that. The church is haunted now. You got to get a new church. Yes. Like, what the heck? This is mm. out of control. And then to hear if my freaking husband, again, not to like come after Paula because poor Paula, this is not her fault, but I feel like I would put two and two together on this one because you know they found that body relatively soon after, right? Mm-hmm. And it was in a ditch not far from your home. Yeah. And you don't know where your husband was all night. Right. Because he had a headache somewhere. I feel like that is very easy. And like, I know that we're weird. <laughs> oh, I'd be suspicious as hell. But I don't think you have to be that weird to put those two things together. Like, where were you, sir? Yeah. It better have been with another woman that's still alive. <laughs> right. Right. Please be cheating on me, not murdering people. Please. I can deal with that a lot better. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yeah. So September 1986, Dennis had Vicky Wergry, age 28, in his sights. She was a mother of two, and he could walk, um, and he would walk by her house during the day and listen to her play piano. He thought this murder out carefully, calling it his PJ project, which I have no idea what that means, but now he's got names for his projects. By 10 a.m. on September 16th, 1985, Dennis dressed up as a telephone repairman and knocked on Vicky's door. She let him in, thinking that he was going to fix the phone line, which he had been the one that had cut it. Oh, my God. He that just sucks because I could see that. I mean, that's valid, you know, like that seems okay. legitimate. But two at this time. Yeah. When you know he's cutting everybody's phone lines. If my phone line got cut, I'd be out of my house in a mm-hmm. hot second in my right. car down the street. Don't know where I'm going, but I'm not staying home until somebody sorts out what happened to that phone line. Well, but you got to think, too, that this happened a year later after his last murder. So there's been some time. Oh, yeah. These are years apart. But still, wouldn't that be scaring you for, like, the entire time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If if there is a murder, murders, like serial murders in my area, I'm probably going to move. Yeah. Like, that's just the end of that. Um, Okay. So she lets him in. He told her he was going to tie her up and by gunpoint again, forced her into the bedroom. She put up quite a fight and actually left cuts and scratches on Dennis, which what's your wife saying about that? Like, right. Where did you get all these cuts and scratches? Got attacked by a dog on the census situation. I don't know. Yeah, It's cutthroat business. 
Um, so he got a rope and stopped her fighting by choking her to death. After that, he took photos of the body in different positions and left stealing her car. But Vicky was married. So later, her husband, Bill, um, said that he saw his own car going the opposite direction of the house, but he couldn't see who the driver was of the car. Um, when he arrived home, he saw that his two-year-old son was by himself in the living room and he searched the house and found his wife on the floor behind the bed in their bedroom. Vicky was rushed to the hospital because she was still alive, but was pronounced dead after a few hours. Oh. So after this took place, Dennis uh, was disposing of evidence and parked their car just a few blocks away from the home. How like that would be terrible. Cause you'd probably see it, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he went to his uh, own home, changed clothes. And once again, was in the wind from the police. They had no idea. But he's doing this in like a reasonably close area. Yes. Yep. It's insane. Stuff that he could walk to his home from a lot of them. Right. That's really close. In 1991, Dennis started looking at older women who may be more vulnerable than the younger ones he had been killing. Dennis found an older woman, Dolores Davis, age 62, away from Dennis, where he noticed her at her home. These are all so close to his house. Mm -hmm. Like... If you pinpointed these on a board, I wonder if it's just all circling his house. Well, and I, you kind of broke up there, so I don't know if they heard, but it, she lived a mile from him, is what you said. Right. Mile but and yeah. a half. He thought this would be his last victim. He was going camping with the Boy Scouts over the weekend. On January 19th, 1991, he came up with an excuse to leave from one of the meetings again. Uh-huh. And drove his car to his parents' house to change out of his scout uniform and put on his hit clothes, as he liked to call them. He then drove to the Baptist church in Park City, parked his car, and started walking to Dolores' house. Once he got there, he waited outside to make sure she was asleep. He broke the glass door at the back of the house with a cement block he had found, Dolores came out of her bedroom and saw Dennis. He used the same line he did every time, saying he needed money, a car, and food, and that he was going to tie her up. He tied her up in the bedroom and strangled her to death. Terrible. I keep, I keep hoping that he doesn't manage. Right. Dennis took the body outside and put her in the trunk of her car. He drove to a lake near Park City and hid the body and evidence under some trees. He drove the car back to the Davis house, wiped it down for fingerprints, and left to go back to the church. He went back to where he hid the body, put it in his trunk. In his own car. What the fuck is he doing right now? I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> you would do that. <laughs> what? Okay. He put the body in the trunk of his car and dumped the body under a bridge in Sedgwick County. Dennis then changed back into his scout uniform and went back to camp. 
the following evening, he went back to where he left the body and took pictures of it. In his car. How is he not getting caught? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's a dummy. And why? Right. And I'm still real curious if, I tell you what, if I left a scouts meeting, my kid would be on me like white on rice. Where'd you go? Why were Uh you gone so long? What'd you doing? Like, what? Nobody's questioning him. And they typically say that around your significant other. So then that person would be like, oh, you left the meeting? What's going on? That's weird. And then like, oh, this body shows up? Like, that's weirder. Like, there's no connections being made here. Nobody's even trying. (laughs) No. Dennis then went silent. From 1991 to 2004, BTK stayed in hiding and no one heard from him for 10 years. On the 30th anniversary of the Otero murder, the Wichita Eagle newspaper ran an article about the crime and BTK. A book by Robert Beadle came out about the nightmare that haunted Wichita, Kansas, um, a.k.a. the BTK. This book and article made Dennis really mad because he thought they were trying to tell his own story and he was the one that wanted to tell it. So all all of this is because he's freaking like jealous. A narcissist. Yeah, that somebody's telling his tale. Um, May 17th, 2004, Dennis. March 17th. Or I'm sorry, March 17th. Yes, 2004. Dennis mailed a letter to the Wichita Eagle from an undercover name, Bill Thomas Kilman. Very smart. Um, the envelope had three photocopy pictures of the ones he took of Vicky and her driver's license and signed it with the same signature he had been using in previous letters. The letter was then sent to the FBI and the investigation on BTK started again, um, this time hitting the media and internet because now that's a thing. So, A lot of times whenever serial killers go dormant for that long, law enforcement doesn't know if they might have gotten arrested or murdered or what. So they probably just figured he was never going to be caught or. Yeah. Yeah. So now they've got the media. And his case is cold. They're not looking Mm -hmm. too hard for him. Like. Right. He could have moved. I mean, anything. Right. He could have been fine if he just would have not been left it alone god um which i'm glad he didn't obviously but still it's just like you're so freaking dumb he is the dumbest dumb person in the entire world (laughs) dennis sent another letter on may 5th 2004 to k-a-k-e tv which was a word puzzle that contained a deeper meeting with letters and numbers Next, on June 9th, 2004, he left a package taped to the sign in the middle of the city, which had a gruesome description of the Otero murders and a sketch of a body hanging by a rope he entitled, The Sexual Thrill is My Bill. Like, really? He is such a creep. Such a creep. Creep. June 17th, 2004, there was another package labeled BTK. That was found at the Wichita Public Library. In this letter, BTK said that time was running out to find him and he wanted to wait for the right time for his next hit. The fifth item dropped by Dennis was on October 22nd, 2004, when it was found by a UPS driver. 
there was a collage of children with bindings drawn across their bodies and faces inside the manila envelope. It also contained an autobiography that listed false details <laughs> about BTK. For example, the year he was born and the area he lived to mislead police. Because he's super sneaky. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. so smart. <laughs> super, super sneaky. Eight days after Dennis became the president of the church council at the Christ Lutheran Church, there was a special K-box with markings BTK and bomb in the back of a pickup truck. Inside the box was information on his projects that he had watched or stalked, along with even more misleading information. So something that I didn't put in the notes on this. Inside. Oh, God. I'm sorry. So he... He dropped this off um, in a Home Depot parking lot. And the driver actually thought it was trash and threw it out. So he had to go back and then put it somewhere else. So they had security <laughs> footage. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dumpster diving for his stuff what? yeah oh my god that's just so important <laughs> <laughs> because it was it was it probably like trash yeah it does it does look like trash so <laughs> they had security footage at home depot and they watched it they weren't able to see his face because it was so blurry but they were able to get the make and model of the car that he used, which was a black uh, Jeep Cherokee. So that mistake really kind of helped them try to locate who this person was. Like, what is happening? Don't that is it up about that him. is <laughs> having to go to get it out of the trash. <laughs> Uh, picks it up and like dusts it off like i worked really hard on this (laughs) (laughs) my heart project (laughs) oh god inside the box was a question asking if there was a floppy disk made if it would be able to be traced back to the computer he used to make it because that's who you should ask to catch you if i do this will you be able to find me (laughs) no absolutely Uh, not what a dummy totally i mean just like serious right now (laughs) he's he is 100 percent serious it's because he's an old man and technology just really went too quick for people you know what i'm saying (laughs) well first should we should we explain a floppy disk it's a bigger usb drive (laughs) essentially yeah and if you find any now good luck playing them right right (laughs) and they can be traced uh to the computer that it was used on spoiler alert (laughs) later the police replied and said no which was a lie yeah, like, nope, no way, Jose. Why would he ask the police? Who else are you going to ask? I a mean, a nerdy friend? He doesn't have any friends. The, the library? <laughs> the internet? I mean, there, there are a 
lot jeeves <laughs> oh ask jeeves yeah <laughs> asking the police i feel like our sound is off <laughs> yeah i feel like it messed up a little bit that's okay all right the next clue was another cereal box discovered on January 24th, 2005, after he sent directions to KAKE-TV on where to find the box. Oh, wait a second. I think I might have misplaced the information. So this is the box that got thrown out. And this is where the security footage was. So this was a big one because this had the floppy disk in it. Oh, okay. And this is what he did with the box after the person threw it away. Right. <laughs> okay. So he placed it somewhere and then called KAKETV. Yes. All right. So also in that box was a rope, um, or I'm sorry, a doll with a rope around its neck tied to a pipe mimicking Josie Otero's murder. The 10th drop was a postcard that arrived on February 3rd, 2005. Oh, that one had the floppy disk. I'm he's got too many damn packages. <laughs> it's all over the place. This was sent to KKE TV saying he was going to send a floppy disk. And 13 days later at the studio of KSAS TV. Oh, well, you know what? We never said the floppy disk was there yet. It was him asking about the floppy disk. He, right. he asked earlier, like, hey, oh, police. If right. I do this. So this is him sending the floppy disk. Um, at the studio of KSAS-TV, the police analyzed the floppy disk, which drew back to the Christ Lutheran Church under the name Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. Who would have thunk? They looked up the church and found the president to be none other than Dennis Rader. They drove past Dennis's house in an undercover vehicle and saw a familiar car from the past security cameras, which was Dennis's black Jeep Cherokee. The police asked his daughter, Carrie, for a DNA sample, saying it was for a medical record, but they were really using it to match the semen found in past crime scenes left by BTK. So at this point, she's in college, right? They right. they took they took a pap smear or something. Yeah, so it wasn't like the police were asking her for this. They took the DNA that was already there and analyzed it against the DNA found at the crime scenes and was able to find it that way. Yeah, so they found a match and finally solved the case that had taken 30 years, all because he is a narcissistic idiot that doesn't know how computers work. What a guy. Like, thank God that he doesn't, but like, wow. Wow is and right. And he didn't even, like, oh my gosh. Like, if you think there's even a possibility that they can trace it back to you, aren't you going to use a, like, somebody else's computer or you know whatever the library go the to library the library computer yeah the problem yeah. with the library one you have to log in and your name's like attached to that too at least it's... i think you used to we'll steal somebody's library card and sign in and under do it. yeah jack yeah you're right i mean like, and i think million. you could sign in as a guest too actually now i'm saying this like i don't know why would you do it that way you are so dumb <laughs> so dumb Probably because it was convenient because he, you know, does everything else at the church. So why not? And they, create said, this? And they said they couldn't trace it. <laughs> so, you know. Did he not think that the police 
we're gonna lie to him like that they couldn't tell a lie he's not abraham lincoln or whatever they're the freaking police they lie all the time (laughs) all the time okay (laughs) february 25th 2005 the WPD surrounded Dennis's car after he ate lunch at work and led him to a waiting police car where he was handcuffed. When Dennis was asked if he knew why he was going downtown, Dennis said, oh, I have my suspicions. Why? Of course you do. Of course you do. Ew. He's probably like, that damn floppy disk got me. <laughs> 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 that same day, he was taken into an interrogation room where he was silent. But because we know he's a narcissist, his silence didn't last too long, and he ended up opening up about everything, giving a 30-hour confession. 30 hours. Can you imagine having to listen to him talk for 30 hours? No. I don't want to talk about anything for 30 hours. Anything. Nothing. Nothing. No. I, I'm I, trying really hard to think of something. Nothing. I, I can't think of a thing I would want to talk about for 30. I don't want to talk at all for 30 hours. And it's not even, it's not even talking. It's listening. It's listening Mm -hmm. to somebody for 30 hours. Like, uh, that would probably be worse listening. Cause then you're like, shut uh up. Like (laughs) a total narcissist that the, the level of detail he would have had to go into for all of this for it to last for 30 hours is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, so 30-hour confession. In his confession, he talked about his crimes and almost confessed with like a sense of pride about what he'd done. And obviously, he liked getting all the attention. The next day, Dennis took his first mugshot and realized that the police, like he thought, were not on his side. Um, I don't know why he would ever think that, but he did because he's just so awesome. Everybody loves him. Which is why he thought they wouldn't lie, probably. Mm -hmm. Yep. March 1st, the public was finally able to see a live video of BTK receiving the charges against him before he was found guilty. The court had lots and lots of evidence against Dennis after they searched his home. They found his what he calls the mother load, which contained the original BTK letters, victim's driver's license, photos that were taken, cutouts from newspaper articles and artwork that was found in a cabinet in his home office can you imagine being his wife and finding that stuff no or just knowing mm -hmm. it was there for all that time knowing that you had a child you had a child with somebody who was murdering women like while you were having his babies oh yeah oh my gosh poor paula Yes. And for his children. Um, during his confessions, Dennis admitted he was planning to kill again and that in October of 2004, he had started stalking another victim. But luckily, he was not able to fulfill that fantasy. I wonder if they told that victim. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how you deal with that. I just you would I never want to know. I just wouldn't want to know if they you got would... the guy. I just wouldn't want to know. You would never feel safe again, ever, I feel like. No. Several other cities had started looking at their unsolved cases with the help of state police and the FBI. Surrounding states such as Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Texas also investigated cold cases that fit Dennis's pattern. 
the FBI and local jurisdictions at former duty stations checked into unsolved cases during Dennis's time in service. After exhausting all options, no one was able to discover any further murders that Dennis may have committed. They also believed that because Dennis was so big on wanting the notoriety, he would have confessed to any additional murders he may have done. Dennis told police that there had been a lot of lucky people who he had targeted but was unable to follow through with. And they're probably 100% correct. I mean... Yeah, I believe that. The fact that he was caught purely on his narcissistic situation i mean he wouldn't have let he wanted to be known for all of it yeah i think he would have admitted to anything else he did and i also believe that there were probably a lot of lucky people out there Mm -hmm. as expected all of dennis's close friends and family were utterly shocked that the president of the church and mr boy scout himself was in fact the btk um many Um, thought there was no way in a million years that he could be capable of committing those crimes. His wife, Paula, filed for an emergency divorce not long after he was arrested. Good for you, Paula. Like, get out of that. All the way out of that ASAP. Oh, man. Dennis's case started on June 27, 2005 for all 10 victims. He had confessed in so much detail and with no remorse, and then he pled guilty. Family members from each victim were able to speak, most of which told him how much they hated him and how they'll never be able to see their loved ones again. After that, Dennis was able to give a statement where he talked for about 20 to 30 minutes on what was supposed to be an apology, but mainly he just talked about himself. Shocker. Mm -hmm. It appeared he was not truly sorry at all for anything he had done. And you can... You can watch all of these, like his statements and part of the court proceedings and all of that stuff. You can YouTube it and find it. I personally hate his voice and watching him talk. And he almost carries himself like a businessman that like isn't being tried for these horrific things that he did. Like he just is almost removed from it. it it's just so it's weird. It's eerie. And mm-hmm. he is just an odd bird. It is so crazy to me that people can fake being normal. Yeah, for so long. Like, to be the president of the church and to be so involved in the Boy Scouts, to have a wife, to have kids, and nobody suspecting you. Mm-hmm. Like, he had to have been faking a personality and faking empathy and faking caring about people and things and pretending that he loved people. Like, Mm-hmm. that is so scary that people can do that i agree and and just like the shock that i'm sure all of those people had and and his poor wife i mean to be sleeping next to somebody that has the capability of doing these horrible things like it's and it's mind-blowing children with them yeah and thinking everything's fine like what the robert mendoza um, he's a Massachusetts psychologist and was hired by Dennis's court-appointed public defenders to conduct a psych evaluation of him. Mendoza diagnosed Rader with narcissistic, antisocial, and obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. Uh, yeah. He observed that Dennis had a grandiose sense of self and believed that he was special and entitled to special treatment. 
He had a pathological need for attention and admiration, a preoccupation with maintaining rigid order and structure and had a complete lack of empathy. So I think that this really ties in like the entitled to special treatment piece, which is why he thought that the police weren't going to lie to him whenever he asked him a question like that. He was just above everybody else and they could never Mm -hmm. lie to me because I'm so special. Like just. ugh. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's crazy. What a dummy. Mm-hmm. August 18th, 2005, Judge Waller sentenced Dennis to life in prison. Dennis would not be eligible for parole until 2180, which doesn't even look like a real number. <laughs> like, <laughs> it does not. He was also not allowed to access any materials that could help him fulfill his fantasies. So, like, nothing. Like, I would say no TV, no magazines, because he likes to make crafts, no notebook paper to write his stupid-ass poems. Like, nothing. (laughs) Yeah. You you were allowed nothing, sir. On August 19th, 2005, Dennis was taken to El Dorado Correctional Facility in El Dorado, Kansas. I'm assuming that's where he remains today. Yes. And then in 2007, Dennis's daughter, Carrie, who was 27 at the time, was pregnant and went through a really hard emotional time. Her therapist recommended her to write her father, and she spiraled further into depression and PTSD and shut down all while she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Oh, she has done many interviews about her father and has written a book called A Serial Killer's Daughter under her married name, Carrie Rawson. This book is on its way to Allison's house. Yes. It's not, it's not on its way to my house. It says it's on its way to my house, but it's on its way <laughs> to Allison's house. And you can find it on Amazon. I watched a few um, uh, documentary things with her talking about it. And it's just, I, I don't think that his son has ever done much public speaking about this, but like, it rocked her freaking world, man. And and then to be pregnant and then she has an, a second kid at this point and them asking questions about their grandfather and why they can't see him and her having to explain what, you know, in in his kid glove way as you can explain how terrible your grandfather I'm is. I'm sure then- she just says something like grandpa was a bad man and he's in jail. Yeah, but like, like I don't know. And then like for them to grow up and know that that's in their bloodline it would it would be hard to not terrible. be like am i my bad too you know like yeah because you think that's like part of your blood i'm sure mm-hmm. yeah well because so awful it's just like medical conditions like diabetes and things that are hereditary i mean it's a possibility mm-hmm scary and he was there her entire childhood doing that that's yeah I feel like that would be so hard to comprehend and to think about and like every memory you ever had is completely tainted knowing that while those things were going on, he was murdering people like that would be so hard to deal with. Yeah, because she was 24-ish whenever he got caught. So she literally her whole childhood, the entire time mm-hmm. she knew him and yeah, and it was her dad. So he was around. Well, <laughs> think about the son too, like being at the Boy Scout meetings and knowing that my dad left That's to go kill someone. Left. 
twice more than once yeah yes i don't know that would be so difficult to deal with so i mean takeaways from this dennis raider is a real big a-hole um terrible person stupid as hell terrible poem not good at anything real bad poetry real bad couldn't write his way out of a paper bag no way and or spell i mean anything not a thing just an all-around terrible human being but if dennis raider can graduate college you can too you can for sure (laughs) a hundred percent so let me cite my sources um wikipedia uh, Britannica.com, Murderpedia.com, ABCnews.go.com, SurvivingBTK.weebly.com, Google.com, and Dennis Raider Speakout.com. That one had a lot of like good tidbits of the individual murders themselves. Um, and then we got the Sparky Big Time. Uh, we found that from Morbid, the Morbid podcast. So if you've never, they sound like us, I feel like. A little bit, yeah. I've never um, really listened to them until I think today I started listening to their BTK podcast and they have a three part and I just listened to the first part, but yeah, yeah. they probably I felt went like we way needed to add that we needed to add that in there because that was like what? Well, and, and if I ever get the FBI coming to my house, I did Google what did Dennis Raider call it when he ejaculated after killing someone (laughs) so there's that (laughs) not my proudest moment but it had to be done oh gosh in the name of science ever does your husband ever look at your search history (laughs) like what in the hell allison (laughs) no i don't think so i don't think he wants to know like that kind of information because that's primarily what (laughs) i google Nobody wants to know that information. What does generous Raider call it when he ejaculates? Yeah. So Ew. that, my friends, was episode 138 on the BTK killer Dennis Raider. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope that you learned something, what to do if you get in these situations. And we hope you understand again. If he can graduate, you can graduate. So keep on trucking. Mm-hmm. You can do anything. You can. We hope that you all have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>